The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. And you're welcome back to The Last Word. Now it's that time of week when it's time to look back on all the big stories making the headlines and those that went viral. I'm joined our own Ben Finnegan, news anchor here at Today FM, and Ro McDermott, journalist and relationship correspondent with The Irish Times. Thank you both, both very much for joining us. Uh, I think we're going to start, I think we have to start every show now with a story about Paul Meskell because he's rarely out of the headlines, Ro. I know, and for this one I feel quite bad for him because he has been in the headlines for a very good reasons. Obviously the Oscar nomination, God's Creatures is coming out, which is a fantastic film. But Screen Actors Guild Awards were on Sunday night and he was walking up to stage to present award with the beautiful Zendaya and they just had a slightly awkward moment where he offered her his hand because she was walking up in this beautiful gown and she went to kind of give him her elbow instead but he misunderstood and they both fumbled and he didn't know what to do with his hands. But this has set Twitter alight because Zendaya and Paul Mescal now have rapid fan bases and people are saying that she snubbed him and he was left embarrassed and then people are saying no he was being patronising when to me I was just looking at two people who are usually incredibly smooth and incredibly just otherworldly in how glamorous they are just being incredibly relatable and having an awkward moment where they didn't know what to do I thought it was lovely It must be really there must be a lot of pressure being in situations like that where it's kind of the equivalent of you're going to kiss somebody on the cheek and they move their face and then you end up kissing them on the lips. Imagine if that had happened between Paul Mescal and Zendaya. Exactly. Twitter would Oh, explode. that would just, yeah, that would be the, <laughs> the most viral story of all time. But everything that these people do is psychoanalyzed to the extreme on Twitter, on social media. So like when you're in a situation like that, you would be super conscious about uh, making a mistake or do, making the wrong movement. I would be anyway. <laughs> and I think it is the thing of people don't expect celebrities to act like human beings anymore if they stumble in any way. It's right over it. Do you remember the Don't Worry Darling press tour where mm. people were convinced that Harry Styles spat on Chris Pine and even both the actors came out and said, no, he didn't. And people would not stop replaying that video and watching it. So there's this bizarre parasocial thing where we think we know these people and we also think they're going to act in completely predictable ways all the time. So the second they step out of what we expect from them, we're going to overanalyze it to death. But if it was a snub, if it was... Oh, how could she? How could she? (laughs) Paul Meskel is an Oscar nominee. Put some respect on his name, Zendaya. (laughs) Does she not know who he is? Exactly. (laughs) Is that part of the problem that here in Ireland, we all think, oh my God, it's Paul Meskel, it's Connell, it's normal people, it's Afterson. She's probably thinking, I'm the star here. You don't need to take care of me. I can get up to the stage. I think there's an interesting thing because as we've seen, do you remember Jennifer Lawrence was going up to accept her Oscar and she fell and she tripped over her dress, which was this large dress. At these awards ceremonies, the women are encouraged to get dolled up to the nines. They're encouraged to wear the high heels and the designer dresses. And then they have to navigate these stairs. And there has been a run of men, including Hugh Jackman, Chris Evans, who have very gallantly made a bit of a performative show of uh, offering women an arm to help them get up the stairs. So it's almost this expected rite of passage now in an award ceremony that a beautiful man is going to help you up the stairs. And I think she was fine, but I don't think she snubbed him. I think she was genuinely going, no, take my arm instead of my hand. And this is more, of course. But I think it was a lovely, I just think it's hilarious because it was two people trying to do the polite right thing and then the internet losing their mind and saying they both did it wrong. I'm I am also sure that Paul Mess 
Pascal with his Oscar nomination and his incredible line of films coming up and Zendaya with her absolute millions and awards being thrown on her head. I think they're both fine. I don't think they're stressing about this at home. And like they would have known that they were going up together and they were sitting at the same table. So it wasn't as if he just ran out of left field and tried to grab her arm and run up to the stage. No, and you kind of think to yourself, maybe they should have talked about this beforehand. I'm sure they've met each other that he could say, look, I'll lead you up there if that's what, if that's what you want. Yeah, but that even even that, I understand that let's have a chat about this and plan this, but even the expectation that we're putting on celebrities that they can't just walk up the stairs without it being coordinated to death. I think what's just really just exhausting and very predictable is the new trend of turning this into a big societal issue and going, is chivalry dead? And is this women refuting men's politeness? And it's like, no, it's not. Everybody's fine. Can Everyone we not? is awkward in moments. Yes, exactly. What are you like, Ben, when you're at award ceremonies. You've been at a few of them over the years with awards being doled out on the radio. Would Have you, you need somebody? Up? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, like I've any award, I've been to a few award ceremonies, and uh, I've I've never had to get up off my seat, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I've, that will change, of course. Well, who knows? But I've always just been keeping myself to myself and the bar. I was like, I once interviewed Andrew Scott, known as then, who is his big role as Moriarty and Sherlock, and now he's gone on to do Fleabag and all these incredible things. Um, but I interviewed him in the Marion Hotel in Dublin and was wearing very stupidly high heels. And when I exited the interview, I tripped on the stairs and fell and tore two ligaments of my ankle. And that year, and I was on crutches and I was in a boot and it was a nightmare for about 10 weeks. And that year I had to attend the IFTAs and I bumped into him again. And I said, you know, after that interview, I really wrecked. And I was still using a cane. And and he said, yeah, tell everyone Moriarty pushed you down the stairs. So that's my kind of thing. <laughs> that actually is a very good story. <laughs> Let's move on to somebody who's been back in the news for the last couple of weeks. And that is our former Taoiseach Bertie Ahern, who was amongst the people getting an honorary doctorate in DCU during the week. What happened, Ben? Well, this was for his contribution to Irish life and society and whether those contributions you believe... And he was also picking it up alongside Monic McWilliams from Northern Ireland as well, yeah. who played a huge part in the peace process. Now, whether you agree or not that his contributions to Irish society were good or not, they're there. Um, A group of uh, young people were in the audience and they started heckling him, um, saying that uh, they couldn't allow the event to continue without interrupting it. And they said that, or they claimed that uh, he had destroyed the future for young people. Um, And Bertie, by all accounts, seemed to have taken it in his stride, as Bertie always did, and just kind of remarked on, did they not have anything better to be doing than coming to his conferring ceremony? And said it was nice of them to come say hello to him. I will give his Bertie at the in these scenarios. Well, there's two sides of Bertie. Sometimes he can be really unflappable and kind of charming and turn things into a joke, which I think served him so well during his political career because everyone felt he was kind of relatable and they could have a drink with him. Um, but then again, he did that interview fairly recently where they asked him very predictable questions about his time in politics and he stormed out. And I'm so curious about what PR media advice he's getting at the moment that he wasn't prepared for these kind of situations and I think what this protest shows is that there is such a huge generation gap between young people who are very aware that the Good Friday Agreement is was an incredible piece of work and are all incredibly grateful for it and are then also saying yeah but what else? What else did you do when you were in power and how is it impacting me now a generation on and really feeling that and I think there was such a naivety about Bertie coming out and this run for presidency and these desires to do interviews Which he's, but never not, be- he's not said he'd run for president he said he this, that's 
at time. That that'll be at the side at a future time. I think his his desire to set up that idea in people's minds, but not being prepared to be challenged mm. about his time in power is really curious. Like, I'm I'm all burtied out after the last six weeks between him rejoining Fianna Fáil. This perceived run for the Oris, which, you know, if he doesn't want to run for the Oris, just say you don't want to run for the Oris. Stop saying that it'd be disrespectful to Michael D that if you announced your candidacy now, uh, it would be disrespectful to Michael D who can't run anyway in 2025. But as Rose said, that interview with Conflict Zone, the, the German show a few years ago, where he just stormed out when he didn't like the questions. He, he agreed an interview on a Good Friday agreement, answered those questions because that makes him look good, and then was asked a couple of questions about the Mahan Tribunal, didn't like it, walked out. If he is going to uh, become such an integral figure in Irish society, which he has become again in in 2023 by rejoining Fianna Fáil, now whether he wanted to become that integral figure again is another thing. But you still have to answer questions about it. You have to answer questions about uh, the Good Friday Agreement. You have to answer questions about the Man Tribunal. And you have to answer questions about whether you have this ulterior motive of running for Oris and Uchtaron. I, I'm, I, I know this is going to set off a text reaction because it did in a private WhatsApp group the other day when we were talking about Bertie O'Hearn's return to public life. And as I pointed out, there's a lot of people criticising Bertie O'Hearn about what happened in the Celtic Tiger. And I started as a journalist covering the economy and following around the Taoiseach and the finance minister at the time. The people who probably should have been protesting didn't do it at the time. Nobody ever said to Bertie O'Hearn, don't cut taxes, don't grow the economy, don't put up house prices. Yeah, but also the people who are suffering the ramifications of that were, you know, probably in nappies at the time or not born. So again, I think there's this generation gap of saying we are feeling the impacts of this and you still haven't been held accountable. And in these very minor ways, as in answer some questions during an interview, he's still refusing to. Um, I just think it's fascinating. I think it would be really interesting to see a poll of who people under 30 would love to see as president and what they want from a presidency because mm. there is this riding the wave of the Good Friday Agreement and again I really do not want to detract from that and how important it was and I'm glad that he's, his work on that is being honoured um, but who do we want in a president and I swear to God if Blind Boy ran for president tomorrow he would get it and I think mm. this is the thing of the generation what do we want from a presidency who do we think understands the struggles that young people and I say young people which is falling into what the government does all the time when they refer to anyone under 40 as young because they don't want to admit that people in their 40s, in their 30s are still living at home because there's a housing crisis and no chance of ever buying a house. Um, But what people under 40, what we want from presidency, who do we think understands the realities of day-to-day life and the struggles that we go through? It's absolutely not Brady or her and I'm sorry. Yeah, he'll be he'll be always heckled, and just as as Ro said, like who do we want for president? Like Michael D Higgins has been a very popular president over the past couple of years because I feel a lot of people feel that he wasn't an atypical politician, and he was quite empathetic when needed. Like even his comments in the last six months about it's a housing disaster, not a crisis. Uh, a lot of young people looked up to that, and you can say a lot of things about his policies in the past and things that he's done and criticise him. But people recognise the fact that he did listen and he did care. And it. some people might argue that with Bertie O'Hearn's track record, yes, he cared about the people of Northern Ireland and he cared about peace on the island, and that's great. But his policies and actions as a politician were quite questionable. We'll pause it there for a moment. Ben Finnegan and Ro McDermott will be staying with us because after the break, we're going to be discussing more of the week's trending stories. Harry and Meghan, 
they've been evicted from their home. Stay with us. And you're welcome back. Ben Finnegan and Ro McDermott are with me. We're looking back through some of the big stories of the week you might have missed. Ben, I want to go to you on this one because I think this is interesting because I've read a lot in the last couple of weeks about some brands that are trying to extricate themselves from Russia still a year after the war in Ukraine began. And one of them is Heineken, which I think like most companies from Europe are looking to get themselves out of Russia but haven't quite managed it. And also, there still seems to be a suggestion that some of their products are offering a substitute for Guinness. Yeah, it's launched an Irish stout last year, even though it withdrew from the Russian market after all the sanctions and all the Western companies left Russia as a result of the war. Um, The the Dutch company was among those who said they they were going. It still maintained a local business in Russia that developed products after it withdrew and created these copycats. And one of them is Black Sheep, which is a Guinness knockoff. But like Heineken have a Guinness knockoff in Ireland, Ireland's. I think they'd say that they have a very fine product out there. Well, I've drank it, and it's a knockoff. <laughs> and they'd say it's a very fine product out there. But it is. It does raise questions about like what what is what are the sanctions achieving and like like what are these companies trying to do to try and get around the sanctions and continue trading with Russia? Like where where does the morality morality come into it? There's a lot of problems here as well for a lot of brands in which. It is very hard just to pull down the shutters. And also for a lot of companies, Russia is a very big country. And there are also plenty of Russian companies looking to take advantage of the situation as well. And they're acquiring Western products and putting them back on the market. And I mean, Heineken, if you look at the amount that they've sold, because they maintained its Amstel brand in Russia and developed this new product range, which accounted for 72 million litres of sales in beer and soft drinks, according to their own documents. And they've launched copycats of soft drinks, uh, including Royal Cola and Tony Lemony uh, that were miraculously appeared after the withdrawal of Pepsi and Coca-Cola. So, of course, they set to, they stood to lose a huge amount of money. But again, they're almost trying to conceal this because all of this has been advertised on the Heineken Russia website. But when it came to the attention of Western media, that website mysteriously went down and was undergoing technical difficulties. And Heineken has now said, no, we are still planning to withdraw. So it just And it will very- probably cost them money if they do close down their operation. It will. They will result in losses. But you even need to just look at, like for example, TikTok. If you scroll through Russian TikTok, which is not supposed to exist anymore since March 2022, when all the social media companies geo-blocked them, but people in Russia are still able to post on TikTok. And over the past year, they've been posting videos about what life is like post sanctions in Russia, and nothing seems to be closed. Like there's McDonald's, not named McDonald's, McDonald's. but uh, 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 there are well-known uh, furniture retailers which exactly. are selling the very same products we can get on our shelves and also some clothing brands out there which are around. But it just shows you that the sanctions, while we made a big song and dance off them a year ago, implementing them is much more difficult. Let's move on to a couple of other things. I, the little royal family watcher in me wants to get to this story before we do anything else. And this is, of course, the ongoing saga of Harry and Meghan. And the re- retaliation, I think, is the word by the royal family, because Harry and Meghan have a very fine house. It's called a cottage, but I don't think that does it justice the at Windsor Castle Estate. In the world. But they're, they're actually facing an Irish style housing crisis. 
they're getting evicted. Prince Charles is evicting them. So this is Frogmore Cottage, which was already a bit controversial. And they say cottage is absolutely huge. Uh, Five bedroom. (laughs) This was the house that they spent nearly three million pounds renovating on taxpayer money. But then when Harry and Meghan withdrew from the royal family, they actually paid that money back. And they also paid more money to keep up with maintenance and essentially pay rent on it for the foreseeable future. But since Prince Harry's book Spare has come out, or Harry, as we should just say now, his book Spare has come out. Um, Prince Charles's coronation is coming up, but Prince Charles is essentially evicting them from Frogmore, which to people may not seem like a big deal because they are based in America now. But that in is a mansion. Their- and imagine but that is their home in the UK it also provides them with security because it's on the ground of Windsor Castle so if they are to ever visit for meetings for something like the coronation to visit relatives to do business in the UK that was only that was go- going to be their home base but it also provided them a significant amount of protection and connection with Buckingham Palace and the Royals and that is all being taken away from them now of course the Royals are saying that this isn't a snide and this is they're trying to downsize and they're trying to ignore knowledge housing crisis which is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard but guess who's getting moved in is none other than Prince Andrew well he has to go from his huge uh, he's got a lodge on the estate which has got multiple bedrooms at which he only pays £250 a week Ben all of this I'm sure most people are thinking we can't find any smaller violins (laughs) I know but and it feels like every couple of weeks I feel like when we see a royal story ah oh, this is it this is the last we'll hear of Harry and Meghan when they want to go and live their private life fine go off and do it and then there's something else that comes up it's just incredible that it is Andrew who is the winner of all rocks this. into this house starts pulling down the wallpaper man who made a multi-million euro settlement with the acu- person who accused him of sexually assaulting her he denies it yeah. and he's the one that gets their gaff like it's remarkable that everything like that Andrew is getting the freebies like I always feel sorry for Archie in this situation mm. and Lilibet well less less so her because Archie was born as a royal and he has lost all these titles because of the choice of his parents. I've always found that like when they, they took away the security, I always found that uh, they shouldn't really take it away until Archie is 18. Mm. That he sh- he was born a royal. He wasn't. It was. He didn't decide to be born a royal, and he didn't decide to leave the royal family until he's eighteen. He is still a royal child, and they should be supported up until that point. And whether that be giving them Frogmore or giving them security in Canada, um, that should be the case. But this was also the cottage, wasn't it? That in the Netflix documentary, they were complaining about how small it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it. I mean. Uh, about Prince Andrew, they will argue that this is downgrading him and this is putting him in a smaller, less expensive uh, abode. But I think that point about refusing the security is so important because in the Netflix documentary, there was a really interesting segment with Tyler Perry, who had only met Meghan Markle once. And he said, when this all goes wrong, and it will, give me a call. And she did call him. And he actually put up Meghan and Harry in his house. And something he said in the documentary was, I knew this was going to go wrong. I knew this was going to go wrong in a very racist way because of the UK and of course it did with all the press coverage that covered Meghan Markle but Tyler Perry also said I grew up in a household where there was abuse and my mother was abused and one of the tactics of abusers is to make it feel dangerous to leave and when I saw that the royal family were withdrawing their security detail from Harry and Meghan when they moved I said this is abuse and so I think that idea of we're going to cut you off from the family and we're going to cut off access to our own grandchildren and our own family and we're going to punish you in that way it just 
just it's petty and it is like rich people problems but I also think there is something just so inherently damaged and toxic about mm. how the royal family oh it's going to be a, it's going to be fascinating over the next one speaking of annoying couples I'm going full on celeb <laughs> this week by the way uh, if I can if I can muster interest in the royal family I, I, I certainly can't in Brooklyn Beckham and Nicole Peltz who are annoying on so many levels and I will say that <laughs> As are each of their families. And at a time when the world is suffering from a crisis, these people are just spending money left, right and centre because their first showbiz wedding wasn't good enough because there was a whole issue with the wedding planners. Yeah, I love this objective journalism. No, they're objectively <laughs> annoying. We're all acknowledging this. Yeah, so this is Nicola Peltz, who is the daughter of Wall Street billionaire Nelson Peltz. And they have filed a £132,000 lawsuit against her wedding planners, saying that they didn't fulfil their necessary duties, whereas the wedding planners are now suing them back they're counter suing them saying that um, they are damaging their reputation that there was miscommunication but some incredible details about this wedding have come out uh, including the fact that the overall wedding cost 2.85 million do you know how much was spent on the makeup budget now I like I like a bit of makeup I like eyeliner I still like my eyes water if I see that I have to pay 30 quid for a very fancy eyeliner the makeup for Nicola Peltz on the day was 82,800 pounds I don't know, did they just shoot diamonds on her face? What was happening? But now Nicola Peltz is saying that the ceremony was so ruined by this inefficient planning and now the media coverage that she has to have a second wedding, which just really feels like a young couple prioritising the right things in a marriage. The lifestyle's been of the young, rich, famous and idle. Yeah, you wouldn't think there's a cost of living crisis, is there, when they're going to be doing all this? I don't... I don't. I, I know the names. I don't know much about them other than his father was they, David they Beckham. Don't work. Exactly. All I well, know. Well, he's tried a few jobs as oh. a chef, a photographer. He's utterly useless. He's by a way. terrible uh, chef and a terrible photographer. But I think that he's just become kind of a meme now at this stage. Um, and uh, like he's he's mar- as as they'd say in Roscommon, he's married well um, <laughs> with uh, a, a an investor of a father-in-law who I think is worth billions. billions. I, I I could go on about this story for so much longer because there's even the whole spat as to whether Victoria Beckham likes Nicole at all. We can get into that some other time. Ro McDermott and Ben Finnegan, thank you very much for joining us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and ever.